I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Kaching with Jane King podcast, a podcast from parents to parents to help teach the next generation about money. Now, today's podcast is brought to you by Arc Athletics, a New York City-based fitness and athletic training business. For tips and videos on how to keep your young athletes healthy and injury-free, you can go to arcathletics.com. And we do have a special treat for our listeners today, the first five people who email info at arcathletics.com can get a free 45-minute workout. So if your New Year's resolution is to get in shape, this is an excellent way to start. That email again, info at arcathletics. is arcathletics.com. So with me as always, Kim Mustin, friend, mom, Wall Street executive. And hello again, Kim. Hello. You know, today's guest once wrote, spoiled kids aren't born, they're made. It really cut to the heart. I love my kids dearly, but after this whole holiday season of I want, I want, I want, and the resulting amount of toys and tiny little things that I trip on in the halls of my apartment, I am feeling the pain of that. So I'm really excited to hear from him today about yeah. how we reverse the curse here. Yes, a very important information for also a mom who doesn't always know how to say no. So our guest today, Ron Lieber, who writes the Your Money column for the New York Times. Uh, from 2002 to 2007, he wrote for the Wall Street Journal, including the Green Thumb column on money management. He's also the author of The Opposite of Spoiled, Raising Kids Who Are Grounded, Generous, and Smart About Money. So Ron, thank you so much for being with us. And your book is stocked with so much great information. I don't even know where to start. So let's start with thank you very much for being with well, us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. You know, one of the first things you talk about in the book is why don't families have conversations about money? It's a topic that we don't always talk about. It's true. And I think the number one reason is shame. And the word shame, you know, in this world, I think is multifaceted, right? People are ashamed because they don't know very much, or they're ashamed because they're not very good at money, or they're ashamed by the things that they've done that they think their children have witnessed, or they are ashamed because they don't have a job right now or aren't earning as much as they used to, or they aren't earning as much as somebody else earns, or they're ashamed about the way that they have earned their money, or they're just ashamed because they're filthy rich. And they don't want to talk about it with their kids and acknowledge it and acknowledge the privilege that they have. 
And there are challenges today that kids have that we didn't have when we were growing up. There's social media. The cost of college has just gone insane over the past 20 years or so. There's health insurance that'll largely be their responsibility uh, when they're in the workforce. So this is really important that we address financial literacy with our young children. So Ron, why is it important for us to have these conversations with our kids? It's because the stakes have gotten so much higher and because when we push them out into the world at 22, if we're lucky, or you know, 25 or 27, if it takes them a little longer, they're going to need to be ready. There is so much more in the way of responsibility that our world has heaped upon them, whether it's repaying their student loan debt being required, at least under the current regime, uh, to pay and buy for their own health insurance, um, the necessity that of starting to save for retirement from the very beginning. Because if you don't start in your 20s and you don't benefit from that compound interest that starts early on, there's a pretty good chance that you will be working forever. So they have to be ready to enter into this world that has experienced an explosion of choices, many of which are truly wretched. Uh, and if they're not ready, if we haven't been practicing with them all along, there's going to be real trouble. Now, do you think schools have any role in teaching kids about financial literacy? I'm sort of agnostic on the question of schools and financial literacy. I get that um, in communities where parents simply are not having these conversations, maybe because they don't know very much, or maybe because they're just too busy working three jobs and juggling all the balls in the air to try and survive, that it might be helpful uh, to have these conversations in schools. Um, but to my mind, there's a direct connection between talking about money and teaching kids values, and at least in my world, I want values education to start at home and be reinforced at school and not the other way around. Um, I think one thing also worth noting here is that if schools are going to do it at all, they absolutely have to be doing way more on the subject of how to save and pay and borrow for college, because that's where teenagers are getting into the biggest amount of trouble right now financially. And schools don't do very much at all in high schools to give kids a thorough grounding in how the system of college finance actually works. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Chapter four of your book talked about the smartest ways for kids to spend. And there was the Annie Leonard's uh, amazing short film, The Story of Stuff. Can you, for those people who haven't had the opportunity to see that, can you talk a little bit about that and sort of the lessons associated with that and thinking about the concept of, of plenty? Sure. Uh, the story of stuff video is profound. Uh, you know, I encourage anybody who's never seen it before to check it out. It, it certainly has an eco consciousness to it, right? The fact that all of the stuff that we buy and consume without thinking about it has a real environmental impact. And, uh, you know, when those of us in our 40s were growing up, um, it wasn't as easy to buy. There was no disposable fashion, right? Um, there weren't all these things that you could just buy for 3 or $5 and not even think twice about it. Clothing was actually more expensive, way more expensive on an inflation-adjusted basis. Um, so there's an environmental sensibility to it, too. Um, but I prefer to think about that or use that as sort of a launching point to thinking about what 
kind of return really do we get on the money that we spend on ourselves and to encourage kids to think about that too because all of the good research in um, kind of economic uh, science and and the science of um, behavior in particular tells us that we get way more happiness out of spending money on doing things than we do on spending money on having things. So, you know, less stuff, more experiences equals more happiness. It's true for kids too, and we want to give them an opportunity to practice that so they figure it out for themselves. So you're, so you're a parent. So what are some ways that maybe you've done that for with your children or with nieces or nephews or things where you've given them these great experiences over something, you know, a tangible thing? One overarching, you know, kind of theory of the case that I always try and talk to people about is trade-offs, right? Um, all of us grownups, no matter how much money we may be lucky enough to have, are constantly making trade-offs. That's what it means to be a grown-up. Are you saving more for retirement? Are you saving more for your kid's college education? Uh, are you going to buy that expensive thing? Because uh, if so, you're going to need to buy a whole bunch of you know smaller, cheaper things uh, in other categories because... You know, we can't all have everything, right? Where would you put it, as uh, uh, Stephen <laughs> Wright used that? to say, right? <laughs> um, and so it's the same sort of exercise with children. So I'm just thinking about right now with my 11-year-old daughter, who's my older daughter, we're taking a road trip together in six or seven weeks. And it's not just the process of going on a trip and thinking about the trade-offs that you make along the way. It's actually the process of planning the trip that's especially educational for the child. So, you know, we've been sitting down together and looking at you know, the Airbnb listings along the way and thinking about, you know, how much more would we really get if we spent that extra $50 on these two nights? Or would we rather have that $50 per night to spend on really insane shrimp, you know, along the Gulf Coast of Florida to eat? <laughs> well, and it's interesting. We've taken a few trips with our kids on business over the past couple of years. And at the end of the year, I come up with a list of questions. And I'm like, okay, who remembers the name of the duck that we saw in San Antonio? And the kids are like, oh, it was Bob the duck, you know? And so we try to like stretch out those memories. And it almost is like we're taking two trips because we go back and remember all these great memories that we had when we took the trip. So I love the idea of uh, almost sort of a quasi audit. I've met parents who actually allow their children to to um, review their credit card or debit card statements each month and ask questions um, because it's actually a good opportunity to kind of look back and say, right, what were we doing on that night six weeks ago? Does anybody remember anything that they ate at that restaurant? Because if so, um, unless we were going there because we absolutely had to because we were out and it was the only sort of convenient place to go between here and there. If we have no memory of this place, then was that money well spent? And if it wasn't money well spent, let's maybe think about that a little differently next time. So it's all about kind of reviewing what's happened, thinking about the return that you're getting on the money that you're spending on stuff or experiences, uh, and then making different choices, different trade-offs next time. Yeah, no, that's a great advice. Okay, so in the book, you mentioned four primary things that spoiled children have in common. And then you also list values and characters that are close to describing the opposite of spoiled. Could you share those? The definition of spoiled isn't really just about money. In fact, it's barely about money at all. Spoiled kids grow up in an environment where they're are no rules at all, no expectations. Um, they answer to no one. 
or you know, if there are rules, uh, there's no enforcement of those rules, right? So that's the second part, right? Maybe there's some loosely defined rules, but nobody's enforcing them. Or, you know, in sort of part three of spoiled child syndrome, um, maybe there are some rules. Um, maybe they are, uh, you know, enforced uh, to a certain extent. Um, but when a child fails, uh, the parent or parents are always there to sort of clean up the mess after them and or smooth the path in front of them to such an extent that they are literally never allowed to hit an obstacle, let alone trip over it, right? So that's part three, right? Notice we haven't gotten to money yet at all. It's only in part four where we start to encounter money. There are kids, uh, many of them who come from very affluent families and many of them who don't, um, whose Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Parents and also extended enabling family members just find a way to never say no, even if it means that they're going into debt themselves for presents in particular, birthdays, Christmas, that time of year. And those kids who have those things uh, do not learn to be gracious or grateful or express gratitude for them. Those kids are spoiled too, the kids who are blessed with lots of stuff and don't learn to appreciate it. So it's only at the end that we really get to the money part. Yeah. You talked in the book about gratitude and cited a study that I found incredibly interesting that uh, kids were um, with gratitude, higher gratitude levels, also scored better on their grades in school. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the correlation between gratitude and not only grades, but other characteristics? That we yeah, I all think want it, our kids to have. Sure. I mean, I think in some ways it, it, it doesn't make it, it isn't so surprising that if you are at peace with yourself and feel blessed in an entirely non-religious way even um, by uh, whatever good is in your life, it's only natural that that peace will extend to you know happiness and even performance in other areas of your life even as a child, right? So the question is how do you reinforce that? So you know in the past I've made the case in public for a national grace saying movement. You know even if you don't believe in God, there's something almost magical about a semi-formal, semi-regular gratitude ritual that you and your family members perform uh, around a table, maybe it's a dinner table if you manage to eat together more often than not, or maybe it's in the car, or maybe it's on the subway, or you know wherever it is that you gather. Maybe your 
Uh, church is the swimming pool because the kid or kids are competitive swimmers. And so you do your gratitude rituals, you know, on the way there at 6 a.m. on Saturday before the meets. Uh, everybody just has to say something about someone or something that they are grateful for since the last time you did it. Um, I find it to be an incredibly powerful thing to stop and take note of those things. Yeah, you have so much great advice. Like, this is just awesome. I'm taking all this stuff home with me. Okay, so I want to do a little bit of kind of a speed round here. On some of the things that parents face as they raise children. So, Tooth Fairy. It's hard to know how much the supposed Tooth Fairy uh, should bring uh, at any given juncture. I've heard stories in Westchester County, New York, of Tooth Fairies that show up with $100 bills. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm pulling all of my teeth and going up there tonight. <laughs> Sometimes the little ones will try to pull their own teeth when they <laughs> no realize kidding. that or this is such a little right? Um, so once one out here is to come up with some non-monetary way that is still special and significant and will give kids things uh, to think about. Uh, my favorite example of this is a couple of educators I know who live out in California um, who go to this, you know, animal part supply store and pick up teeth from different um, beasts that roam the earth. And so, you know, your first tooth comes out and you get a shark tooth and then you get a fox tooth and then you get a dinosaur tooth, right? And it kind of goes from there. And the kids get excited about that. It introduces them to science. They have questions and it's something special that doesn't necessarily involve comparing how many dollars you got with the other kid. Okay. Allowance. Allowance should start early. It should happen often. Uh, money is for practice. It's a teaching tool. Uh, maybe start with a dollar a week for every year they've been alive. So maybe the six-year-old gets six bucks a week. Um, divide it roughly equally between a save jar, spend jar, and a give jar. So they learn to make uh, choices in those different categories. Uh, it gets more complicated from there. But the question I get most often is, should they have to do chores in exchange for allowance? No, uh, they should not have to do chores in exchange for allowance. If you pay them for chores, they will eventually decide not to work because they have enough money at that particular moment. That's not the point of the exercise. They should do chores. They should do way more chores probably than you're asking them to do, uh, but they should do them for free because that's what the grown-ups do too. We do chores because we love one another and we value an orderly functioning household. That's why we do chores. Okay. Note to self, change paying for chores at home. <laughs> okay, birthdays. Some of these New York birthdays are insane. What do you think about that? It, you know, it's it's hard uh, to opt out of that craziness. And I guess as best as you can, try to find a way to do something that's special or unique um, that makes the child feel special, um, but that maybe doesn't involve going over the top. I know, easy to say, hard to do. Um, I just heard recently about, uh, this is kind of like a perfect closing the circle for me. There are people out there who do birthday parties involving um, an art project where you actually build your own give jar uh, to take home as a party favor and use as a sort of centerpiece of family conversations around uh, philanthropy. So, you know, I, I get that not all boys or older boys um, will necessarily want to do art projects, not to gender stereotype too much, but, you know, that's how some smaller kids think about it. Um, but 
but that can be a you know wonderful way to sort of imprint values while also doing something special. Um, when it comes to gifts, you might do um, you know a trick that has been commercialized by some websites, uh, where you can say um, you know in lieu of gifts, um, you can just drop a few dollars in the bucket at this website, and here's what we're going to do with it. We're going to take half the money, and uh, the child's going to buy one special thing that they really want. The kids going to take the other half and give it away to their favorite cause, and that way you're not stuck with a 15 you know plastic trinkets that you'll forget about or break within 12 months. Right, all the pieces are missing. You know, I my daughter has a friend that she's had almost since birth. Kid's name's Ace. Ace, giving you a little shout out here for every one of his birthdays. Um, he's in second, first grade now. Um, he has he asked for no presents, and he gives it to an endangered animal. Wow. And he shares at the beginning of his birthday party how much he gave from the prior year and what has been happening with that animal. So it's really, the kids get really, he, he makes like a mural of it and it's really like a beautiful thing. And That's a, a great idea. Kid, That's a great yeah. idea. Do the animals ever come? because <laughs> no, there's some pretty yeah. large animals on his <laughs> list to save, yeah. but, uh, and many of them are endangered. So I'm yeah. guessing they're hard to find. So. Right. Okay. So two quick things that cell phones and part-time jobs. So on the cell phone front, uh, I think we can all reluctantly agree that cell phones at this point are a need and not a want. And learning the difference between those two is hard for we grownups, let alone for the kids. But cell phones are probably a need at this point at roughly 10 or 11 or 12. Um, Smartphones, however different from cell phones, smartphones are absolutely a want. Uh, So there's no reason why you can't ask your child to pay for the difference between the dumb phone that they need that you are willing to pay for and the smartphone that they desperately want. And if that's a lot of money for that smartphone to pay for the upgrade, well, then that's a trade-off that they're going to have to figure out how to make. And part-time jobs. Part-time jobs are... A great idea. I think they should be mandatory. I think any college-bound child, no matter how much uh, affluence they may come from, ought to contribute towards the cost of their education. So I think at least one summer in high school, preferably all, ought to go towards working and seeing what it feels like uh, to show up someplace and have to be there on time and listen to somebody who isn't a blood relation. It's a good experience for all kids to have. Yeah, just learning the grind is half the battle of work. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we covered a lot here today. I've really, I took away some really good tips and uh, can't thank you enough, Ron, for sharing your valuable time with us. Everyone, please go out if you haven't gotten it already and pick up um, Ron's book, The Opposite of Spoiled, available on Amazon and booksellers nationally. And also great, three great multi-part videos of Ron speaking about these topics on YouTube. And the book also has the single best tactic for answering every question about money that a kid will ask. Do you want to give us a little teaser about what that may be? Yeah, whatever it is, you look right back at them and you say, why do you ask? Right? (laughs) And it's not, why do you ask? Uh Right? We want them to know that we value their curiosity, that we know that it's perfectly natural for them to be curious about money because it's a really powerful force and grownups never want to talk about it. So of course they're going to ask. Um, But we want to know where the question is coming from because quite often, especially when they're asking for numbers, like how much money do you make? They're not really going to understand the answer. They don't have the math skills or they don't have the context, right? But what they're trying to figure out is, are we normal here? You know, this family or our community, our school. Um, And if we're not normal, is, is there something wrong with that? 
And when you ask, why do you ask? Eventually you get to the bottom, to the root of what's really bothering them. And that's yeah. really what we want to do. So you turn the question on them, that tells you a lot too about what's going on in their head and what they're thinking about. So. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's also a great stalling tactic. Yeah, <laughs> we love that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much Ron, for joining us today. A book, as Kim mentioned, The Opposite of Spoiled, Raising Kids Who Are Grounded, Generous, and Smart About Money. So thank you so much My for pleasure. joining us. It's been a pleasure. And don't be shy. We love to hear your comments and questions or ideas for future shows. So here's how you can do that. So you open the podcast app on your iPhone or Android device. Uh, you can search Kaching with Jane King. Click on our icon. Click reviews. Write a review. Please be kind. And submit. That's all you have to do. And we love to hear from you. So today's podcast brought to you by Arc Athletics, a New York City-based fitness and athletic training business. For tips and videos on how to keep your young athletes healthy and injury-free, you can go to arcathletics.com. And for the first five people who email info at arcathletics.com, you get a free 45-minute workout. If your New Year's resolution is to get in shape, this is excellent. So info at arcathletics.com. Thank you for listening today. We always welcome your comments and suggestions. We're hashtag kids ka-ching on all the socials. And thank you, Kim. We'll see you next time. We have some other wonderful guests uh, to talk to us about to helping kids be money savvy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.